there. Thanks very much for your company on another edition of Playmakers here on Sky. Our next guest is a man who needs no introduction. He's the man tasked with sending the Warriors to the grand final. His name is Nathan Brown, head coach of the Vodafone Warriors. Cheers for coming in, mate. Really appreciate it. No problems. When you first set out as a rugby league professional and embarked on a near two-decade coaching career, did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would be head coach of the Vodafone Warriors? No, nah, not really. I never sort of... I mean, I come over a lot as a player and the coach, and, uh, but I never got to look around Auckland or New Zealand that time. So basically, I'd only fly in and go for the, at the airport. You'd be in the city at your motel, then come out to Mount Smart Stadium and then go back to the motel, get up early in the morning and go home. So um, I never really got to look around Auckland, so I never really actually... No, I wasn't... I never thought... The place was such a good place, and then when I came here for a uh, few times last year for a week block at a time, and I got to look around, you realise how nice the city it is, you know. So I certainly had no desire to come here as from a point of view of a as a lifestyle point of view. But once getting here and getting to look around and see what New Zealand's all about, it's actually a beautiful country. So uh, to come here and be coach the Warriors is, is a, uh, obviously a great opportunity for me, my profession. But it's a city where I could quite I can quite easily see why people come and like to stay, you know, it's a, it is a beautiful place. Most Australians say it's like coming back to the 1970s. Well, what it is, is it's, it's Sydney, but much calmer. Right. Much. It's got a beautiful harbour, there's you know, plenty of places you can travel which are really nice, but uh, uh, Sydney's obviously sort of on steroids compared to Auckland, that's all. It's just a much bigger version, but I think they're both places are very pretty and very, you know, both got some uh, beautiful places to, whether it be in Auckland or go and visit and holiday. and. Yeah, as I said, it's just a bit more peaceful in Sydney. Sydney's very, very busy these days. Mm. As, a, as a player and as a coach, what was your perception of the Warriors team? And you played at a time when the Warriors weren't even in the competition. They, they came in during your playing days. Yeah, I was sort of start out, the Warriors weren't in, and then they came in. And um, any team starting out new from, a, you know, from a, another country is always a difficult task for, um, from a, a starting point. You know, the, the initial coaches that start in any organisation, any sport, anywhere around the globe. When you're the the first head coach of the team when it's first kicking off, there's there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of work that needs to be done before a team can become competitive. But yeah, the perception of the Warriors it, it changes on any given period. You know, like obviously the Warriors were sort of had all the periods where they were building the club and struggling. Then Daniel Anderson come over and and Daniel had some really sort of a period of success there where the Warriors were a consistent football team that. Uh, made a grand final, made the playoffs a couple of years in a row, and was seen as a real a real force to be reckoned with. And they died away. Then, you know, Ivan took over, and then obviously, you know, Ivan had some had some sort of sustained success there, where they played numbers of finals footy and played in the grand final. And and then the last sort of you know seven or eight years is probably unfortunate for the Warriors and fans. Is I think there's only been one semi final appearance in about seven or eight years, which probably. Hence, I'm sitting here, or some other coach may have still been here if they'd had a little bit more success, you know? Yeah. Hey, um, so it's kind of like your second stint, if you like, because obviously last summer you were here in an advisory role to Stephen Kearney. Uh, can you talk us through what that was about? You know, like how, how closely were you working with, with Kearney and the players? Mainly my, my job was I was sort of doing a bit of work with the dummy halves, the hookers, and, and I'd just... Uh, now offer some advice basically to any of the coaches. If I thought I saw something, I'd, or they were doing something, I'd just sort of give them, a, I suppose, an outsider's opinion. Um, you probably look at things when you sort of work with people every day and you're around the same people. 
sometimes you can, I suppose, all tend to look at the same thing where, you know, I know from my point of view, if I, you know, bounce something off someone when I'm a head coach, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, there's a, a different voice or a different idea from someone outside the organisation. So I was basically sort of doing a little bit of that stuff, but obviously the COVID come and all sort of my sort of stuff pretty much pulled up like, like most consultants did in, in, in any activity. Yeah, but you know what people often think, and, and you've been around the rugby league game so long, you've probably seen this and, and heard this many, many times before. Somebody like yourself comes into a club, you've got Stephen Kearney who's under pressure heading into season 2020. People start talking, they start saying that Nathan Brown is obviously here as the replacement. Did you ever get that sense? Is that what was told to you when you arrived as that, no, that consultant? No, I would never have come if that was the case. I was sort of here. Basically, I see any person who works for a football club, their job is to help the head coach stay employed, basically, because you all should be striving for success, you know. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, didn't things didn't work out. For Mooks, he's a, he's a great person, and, and as it unfolded, some other people... You know, at the time, I wasn't sort of ready to, to jump back in, but as things unfolded and a few people, you know, knocked the job back and then obviously then different things sort of occurred in my life and I thought it might be an opportunity that I didn't want to let go. So mm. then we sort of come back into the frame and fortunately, you know, Robbo and Georgie and and, uh, and Rob Crute thought I was the right person to, to, to take the club on its sort of next part of the journey. Before they got on the blower and they said to you, listen, we want you to be the head coach, what were you planning for yourself? What was going to be your next step? Um, don't, you don't really know as a coach. That's the thing, you know. You're sort of coaching, sort of. Um, there's not many jobs really in coaching. You've got the NRL jobs as a head coach, and you got, you know, England. Um, and England wasn't really an option for me. I sort of already had six years there. Not that I would never go back to England, but I'd already had six years there, and we're the different stage of life my kids are at. So that wasn't really an option. So. You know, coaching's, uh, it's one thing to want to keep coaching, but it's another thing to get an opportunity as well. And um, So you sort of, you don't really know where your next opportunity may or may not come from, you know. So as a coach, you've got to be obviously quite open and you need a very supportive family who are prepared to actually pack up and move it, I suppose. Drop and they out. have. Yeah, well, they haven't yet, but they will, yeah. My, my, we're sort of, we're movers, but with the situation of where they are, where we sit at the moment with the borders in New Zealand, you know, my family will move out as soon as the borders are, uh, are friendly, um, but at the moment with the team not going to be based here in the new year, it's sort of no good them coming out if I'm not going to be here. So yeah. Yeah, but I'm quite fortunate my family support my job and they move with me all the time, And well, otherwise you can't really be a head coach, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you definitely need that backing, don't you? Yeah. Your predecessor, if I can call him that, Mooks, uh, Stephen Kearney, I think he did most of his coaching stint with the Warriors with his family back in Brisbane. And yeah, we know how, how tough that was. Extremely difficult, I would, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I've only been over here for about seven or eight weeks now, and the, and the first two weeks are good. You can, you don't have any real responsibility, and if you want to walk up the road, <laughs> uh, when work's finished and have a bite to eat or have a glass of wine or something, go to the beach and sit on the beach, you can do whatever you like, but after a couple of weeks, you've got to think, oh, this, uh, the other life's a bit better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned uh, when, when COVID hit, the consultancy role, it, it kind of bit the dust, didn't it? How closely were you watching the Warriors through that time, though? Because, you know, you would have got to know and, the players and the coaching staff. Yeah, no, I always kept watching. I'd talk to, you know, talk, might talk to Morgs or talk to Stacey or Mooks every now and then. Just, yeah, so once you sort of start something out as a, whether you're a full-time coach, part-time coach, once you sort of start, you always have that interest, you know, because you get to know people and, um, you know, other clubs that I've worked at or other mates that I've worked with, you sort of always, if you're, if you're not working, 
you always have an interest in how they're going. So you tend to watch their games closer than you would watch, you know, any other game. So you sort of still stay uh, quite keenly involved from a watching point of view. And I would still, whilst I wasn't really doing the role that I was going to be doing, I'd still have a chat with Morgs or Stace or... So you still kept in touch with the guys? Yeah, still keep in touch with them. Yeah. yeah, because as I said, once you sort of started out and you start doing a bit of work, you know, coaching is a bit of an addictive type of thing. And, you know, we sort of, for whatever reason, we all seem to like it. And as I said, you know, even other mates that might be in the game, you've know, got some mates coaching England, I'd watch their teams. Not that you'd talk to them about it, but you'd just like to watch, you know, and take a little bit more of an interest in people that you have some Why some wouldn't sort you of talk to them about it? Are their teams doing poorly or something you don't want to rub oh, it in? No, no, no. Actually, the teams are doing well. One of them won the comp, St. Ellen's, oh, okay. Christian Wolf. So, no, it's just, but you just take an extra interest, that's all. Once you have an affiliation with people, you know, it's, uh, you always have that little bit of an extra interest. Mm. Did you think that was. That was a bit harsh, given all of the factors that they had to consider in the, in the season of 2020. I look from a coach's point of view. I think all coaches, all people that have been head coaches, and sort of you know, myself, uh, like a lot of the guys in the NRL, we sort of see ourselves as career coaches. So we like to be in for a bit of a long haul, you know. And uh, and any time we see a coach go down. None of us, no, any other one, anyone that's coached or understands about it, you always feel for the other person, you know, whether you know them or you don't know them, because we all know what it's like, you know. So it's always a, they're always difficult um, calls, and they're always ones that sometimes people may agree with, they may not agree with, but the role we sit in, everyone's got an opinion about it, haven't they? That's the thing, you know. So it's sort of a little bit different to the average business where people get about their business and uh, no one really, I suppose, publicly comments, but when it becomes a, a head coach's job, there's always people that have their opinions, you know, and uh, the great thing with Rugby League is we, we don't all have the same opinion. Mm. Look, we'll set 2020 to, to one side. Let's look at 2021, your first season as head coach of the Warriors. And let's talk firstly about some of the acquisitions, the playing roster. How happy are you with some of the new guys that have come on board? Yeah, look, there's been obviously a, uh, a real plan to bring some bigger people in, you know, the Warriors had a have had a rather small side for a, for a sort of long period of time. Also, might have some big wingers have been quite small in the middle part of the field. And so obviously, you know, the development of a couple of younger ones that Mook sort of gave to boost to that played a fair bit of footy last year. And then when you add, you know, Adam Blake's obviously a, a top line sort of player in his position, you know, he's sort of one of the top couple in that position, you know, and still probably, was probably still not in his prime of his career. Now at his age, he's probably still got his best years to come. And, uh, Kane Evans is another different type of body shape and Benny Murdoch's a big guy as well, you know, so obviously there's been a real uh, a real look to get some bigger, more powerful people in into the club and then, you know, you and A can bring some experience in the backs. We have some, you know, really good young backs developing that probably aren't quite ready at the moment that, um, that's been sort of in the club for, you know, whether they've been here for 12, 18 months, two years, I'm not sure, but they've been here for a, a number of years, but they're not quite ready to play in a row yet, but... You know, Ewan can provide some good experience there, um, and and he's a really, really good trainer. Uh, young Sirenan's a player who brings a total different dynamic to the other guys that's been recruited. You know, he's obviously uh, nowhere near the same size as those blokes, but he's uh, quite a really good sort of football player. You know, so he can he plays more of his for his, most of his footy in the forwards, but rather than being big and powerful and robust, he's got a bit more subtlety to his game, you know. So, you know, there's, there's been that sort of um, plan. Then we've brought in Marcelo Montoya, who's, a, again, he's a he's a younger player. He's got a lot of growth in him, but he's sort of played first grade now for a, for a number of years with Canterbury. And 
Um, Canterbury didn't see a spot from where we saw a spot from him. That's that bit about opinions and what different people think of different players. And yeah, so it's it's been um, it's been a uh, you know some of the recruitment was done before I came in, but obviously you know when I was you know talking to Mooks and Peter Sullivan and the staff, you could quite clearly see what the plan was. They had a plan in place. It's just a matter of the right bodies coming up and you being able to, to purchase them, I suppose. Yeah, the way the the game is changing with um, set restarts instead of penalties being awarded and, and the interchange bench getting you know reduced year by year, it seems. Having a massive pack like that, do you see it as, a, as an advantage or, or a bit of a hindrance at times? Oh, well, the biggest pack last year was probably Melbourne and they won. So you, it's just sort of it's what type of athletes they are, I suppose, how well they move around and I suppose what sort of, um, how they can handle the, the endurance part of the game, you know, and you know, all the guys that have come in from an age point of view have, uh, have sort of played a fair bit of footy. You know, Kane Evans has been... Uh, Two very good clubs, you know, the Roosters, and then he went to Parramatta. And oh, so he's tell played, me more about Parramatta. So he's played um, his fair share of finals footy. So you know, yeah, one would think Kane knows his knows his way around the field. And Benny Murdoch was a player who who uh, went to England at a rather younger age and really discovered himself over there and learned about learned you know parts of life in the game that he knew if he did them well he could become a player. You know, so you know the different players bring different experiences. And you know Bailey Sheridan's a younger one, as we mentioned before, is a small one. So it's just a matter of getting the balance right and getting it work for for your club and your group of players, you know. But you know, certainly, you know, good big players who move well are obviously far harder to handle than small ones. That's also, mm. and you know, I said the Storm had a rather large pack, and if they weren't the biggest pack, they were near enough to it. And you know, but obviously they're a club that's been you know, very well entrenched in the in the playoffs for the past twenty years. You know, so they know all about winning. That's for sure. Yeah, they do. With um, with your roster. How how satisfied with it are you in terms of have you got the quality across all the positions you'd like? Yeah, well, look, I think you know I've, there's some blokes there that have only in the real, I suppose, uh, early stages of their career. You know, young Chanel Tavita Harris. You know, he's a young, very young player. I think he's played about you know, 25 or 30 games. Um, who will be our halfback next year? So he's sort of spent a bit of time at five eight, and then sort of when when Greeny went over to Newcastle, he sort of got half a dozen games at halfback. So, you know, Chanel's a player who I'm looking forward to working with. I believe could have a, a good career in that position. Wade Egan's a hooker who, again, he's 40 odd games in, and yes, you know, they've still got their nappies on these blokes. But they got they got plenty. Of, I believe they have got plenty to to work with. You know, um, obviously Rogers, obviously a very very talented player, and Cody Nikarima. You know, he's, again, I thought last year was his best year of footy under Mooks and then Toddy and the boys that, that took over from Mooks, I thought it was Cody's sort of most consistent year at 5'8". And again, his best years are still coming, you know. So when you're looking at players in key positions, uh, generally um, uh, sides that don't make the eight would be not so sure who's going to play where or they're going to the recruitment market. Uh, for us as a club, I feel quite satisfied in key positions that there's... Uh, you know, apart from being a little bit of a lack of experience, I suppose, and playing together, there's uh, plenty of potential there. And obviously, we've got Carl Lawton who can play hooker and everywhere. You know, Carl's a bit one, of an everything man, isn't he? He's an everything man. You know, Carl, and when he played hooker last year, he did a good job. When he played five eight or back row, he did a good job. You know, so I feel that that part of the um, thing with the youth and experience is quite handy. <coughs> Excuse us, right? It's not COVID. <coughs> Trust us, it's um, not COVID. He had the test before he got in the studio. And then the experienced folks were brought in of all going to certainly add to the squad. And, you know, blokes that debuted under Mooks last year, Mooks have a sort of fair 
number of young blokes there, sort of introduction to first grade last year, you know, Jack Murchie, Josh Curran, Jermaine Tanua Brown, uh, Adam Pompey, like all these blokes all showed some potential, showed they got they got something to give, but they all need to grow as players, you know, not only, you know, physically, mentally, but the game itself, understanding, you know, what they need to do to become a good first grade player. So that's where your growth comes in those sort of two or three areas, you know, so you know, across the board, I think it's a, an exciting time to take over the squad because, um, as I said, you know, Mooks over the past sort of 18 months in particular has given a lot of younger guys um, an opportunity, plus a lot of players have left the club, which give the club the money to bring some players in who can improve your squad, you know. So, you know, generally at different stages, my coach girl sort of taken over and the club's been right at the bottom part of the starting of getting it going again, you know. So to come in this time with these blokes already having played and, you know, knowing what first grade's a little bit about and having good players coming into the roster that have, you know, the, the roster was already, you know, salary cap-wise friendly to be able to do that, to, you know, sign a bloke like Adam Fanua Blake, you know. Not a lot of people get to take over a club and then sign Adam Fanua Blake, you know. So those things have been, you know, are, are real promising for the club. And as I said, and for a new coach coming in, you, you feel quite excited about that. You mentioned the D word, development, and, and I suppose that's where... Another of the, the club's key acquisitions, Gus Gould, Phil Gould. He's going to really help out. But, uh, you know, I, I suppose Auckland, New Zealand, it's slightly different to, say, Sydney, where you've got a whole wide range of clubs, a lot of p people playing rugby league, as opposed to you come to Auckland, New Zealand, you've got a lot of pl people playing rugby union as opposed to league. So, you know, how, how do you see and how does, does Gus see that developmental side of the Warriors work? Well, I think what you need to do is you need to provide a, uh, a system in place where these young kids that like union and don't mind league or like league and like union, you've got to provide a pathway for them where they actually can see hope from at a younger age, you know, and the club was sort of <clears throat> well down the track on that already, you know, before... I come on board or Gus come on board, they'd already put an SG ball side in the competition. Last year was the first time the Warriors have had that, which um, what that does is it allows you know, your recruitment officer, Peter Sullivan, to go to a 16-year-old kid and his parents and say, you know, we'd love you to come to the Warriors and this is the system we've got in place and they can be happy with that, the coaching, the development of all, and he can play for the Warriors from 16 years of age, you know, so where for many years, or pretty much ever since the Warriors have been in, the Warriors have been able to provide that because they didn't have an SG ball team in the in the competition. And as I said, that was already done under under Steve and uh, Brian uh, Brian Smith and Peter Sullivan. I'm not sure which who and I who come up with the actual idea, but the Warriors over the years have had a lot of good players go to Australia at 16 because they can play for the Roosters, they can play for Parramatta, where they couldn't play for the Warriors. So, you know, the club sort of making advances in those areas really helps your recruitment. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone says, recruitment is the key to all everything in, in not only rugby league, but rugby union, it doesn't matter what the sport is. You know, If you recruit you know, blokes that move well and have got some you know, reasonable talent, then it's up to you as a club to put the system in place and the, and the coaches in place, the structure in place to help them grow as people and as players. You know? mm. and, and if you get those two things right, well then what you have is you have a lot of talented young players coming through the club. Do you keep them all? No, you don't keep them all, but you don't have to go to the recruitment market all the time and every time you sack a coach every two years, he goes and buys another seven or eight players, you know, and the Melbourne Storm and the Roosters, they all just sit back and keep laughing at everyone because they go and buy one or two players every year and just keep their coaches there and keep on winning, you know. So yeah. that's the real key for the Warriors' development. And Gus coming on board 
you know, Gus is sort of one of his key things is going to be to get everyone in bed together. Like at the moment, I don't think, from what I understand, Auckland Rugby League and New Zealand Rugby League are separate and the Warriors, we're separate again. Yeah, we're, if there's some way we can all sort of come together to work for a common court, Tonga's obviously shown what they can do at the elite level and the Kiwis have picked up a couple of World Cups. So, you know, if we can get Fiji with more players, Samoa with more players, so it's about not only about the Warriors, but about the game in general, mm. you know, and obviously, you know, rugby unions, it's like going to, it's religion over, isn't it? That's, and that'll be like that until we, until we all move on and then the next generation coming, it'll still be like, and I'm sure that'll be the case, you know, but what a good, a good setup at the lower level will do is it'll, it will give, you know, young union kids that like both games, a pathway and a thing to say, well, I don't mind what the Warriors are doing, so I'm going to have a shot at that, you know, where, if they can't play for it at a young age, it makes it extremely difficult to, to, to challenge a kid who can play union or league to play league. Mm, sure does. Look, we're, we're talking a little bit about Phil Gould. Um, what, what, what are your experiences with him like previous to this? Did, have you had much time with him? Yeah, I played, um, I've obviously played plenty of games when Gus coached the Roosters over the years. We used to have some great battles when, as clubs, you know, the Roosters and Dragons have had some great history and great, you know, were the first sort of the Anzac games. And mm. you know, so I played against, obviously, Gus's coach sides. And then I went into, went into the Origin with him. I sort of, when Gus was coaching, I think it might have been nearly the last time he coached an Origin series, Gus, I was uh, in there with him just running the yellow shirt. So I wasn't <laughs> doing much but running the yellow shirt and babysitting one or two players. <laughs> that was about my role there then. Yeah, and I've sort of always, you know, always, you've always known each other, you know, and had the odd conversation. But he's obviously a guy that's got a lot of, a lot of knowledge on the game that's been around a long time. You know, there's a, you know, Gus, Brian Smith, you know, Timmy Sheens, Wayne Bennett. There's some blokes there that have been around for, you know, the best parts of, you know, three, four generations, you know. So they've been around that long in the game because, you know, they've obviously adapted themselves and, and they can provide good good information. And you guys work pretty well together? Yeah, good. Well, the stuff we're doing at the moment, like the first grade team and coaching that is, you know, not what Gus is here for. So we're not sort of really working with each other in that way. It's more, Gus is more here to get that sort of system down below really, really well. And his, you know, his last sort of role in uh, club land professionally was, if you look at what he did at Penrith, you know, he, he put that centre of excellence together there and uh, helped lay the foundations for what, which ultimately got Penrith to the grand final. You know, we all spoke about, everyone spoke about the amount of those young kids that played SG ball together, which is what we're talking about here with the ball side. Mm -hmm. The amount of those players that come through Penrith's ball system and actually played together and then played together in the grand final, and that's how you build your club. You build your club from the bottom up, not the top down. Yeah. Just lastly on, on development and, and recruitment, New Zealand developed a, a pretty fine hooker, and I'm pretty sure you've got the qualifications to talk about him. Somebody like Brandon Smith, who isn't free for next year, but might be free for the following. How interested would you be in, in getting Brandon back home to play for the Warriors? Oh, look, he's an outstanding player. Like, you know, what he brings to any team is outstanding. And he's obviously been uh, playing a different role to the one he would like to play because of he's been playing behind Cameron Smith. And now they've got Harry Green has become an origin player. And so Brandon's probably found himself in the position what I understand he desperately wants to play hooker. Whilst he's at the storm, he doesn't mind juggling his role a little bit or playing the role he is playing, but his next contract is about playing hooker. Um, and whilst he certainly would help any club, we've already got Wade Egan on contract too. We've got a lot of, I've certainly got a lot of confidence that Wade can be a 10-year player for the Warriors and you need to be careful that, um, you know, you, you don't know 
uh, the, the best yard to look into your own backyard first. And Wade's here and he's with us. And as I said, we've got uh, you know got high expectations of Wade to be a, a good long-term play for the Warriors. What about Matt Lodge? Sort of getting away from your specialist position, but there there have been a few murmurs, a few whispers around the possibility of acquiring Matt Lodge. How how far down the road are we? With yeah, that? no, we haven't spoke to Lodge. It's sort of more come because the club were interested in Lodge uh, last year, um, but he re-signed with the Broncos, and then obviously, you know, Peter Sullivan's his father-in-law, and obviously there's relationships, so it's always. Uh, an easy way to just assume that may happen. Uh, Matt Lodge is a player. Matt Lodge had extreme bad luck last year with injuries, so he never really got on the field. And the one or two games he did play, he actually wasn't uh, in the position to put his best foot forward because he had a really bad knee, you know. And but Matt Lodge, his body holds up well and gets himself in good shape again. He'll be an outstanding acquisition for a side if the Broncos decide to, uh, uh, I suppose. Uh, give him some money to, to move on to another club. But we haven't been down that path because we obviously we signed Adam for Noah Blake. But mm. Matt Lodge would be an outstanding signing for any club if his body can allow him to do the things that, that, I, that I know he could do. Perception is reality is one of these catchphrases that gets bandied about all over the place. Yeah. Uh, with, with Matt, do you, do you have to also consider what has happened in his past before signing? Yeah somebody like him? Yeah, look... Because, I, you know, what, what fans and, and, and people will think? Yeah, I suppose the best way to answer those questions is is that I suppose we've all probably got, if not a family member, we've all got a cousin or an associate who we know when they took drugs and drank alcohol, they were, let's say, they didn't behave very well. Mm. We've also seen those people grow up and not do it and become good people. We've seen others not grow up and just be idiots for their whole life. You know, Matt Lodge, fortunately... You know, that incident he had was obviously a bad incident, but it was the making of him as a person. He's now a husband, a father, and a good person. So sometimes, you know, it's obviously it's those things are things that certainly need to be looked at, but I think, you know, there's been plenty of people in rugby league and world sport that have had bad off-field behaviour as a younger person and then had children and matured and become good people. So sometimes we need to sort of you, you know, not forget the past but judge them on what, how they are now today, not what they were like. Well said. 2021, it's shaping as a similar challenge to what 2020 was in terms of the Warriors domiciling in Australia and for, I hope it doesn't happen, but for long periods of time, right? That, that's the reality that you face. So who, who advises you, um, who, who are you looking to talk to about the challenges that, that lie ahead? Oh, look, the club would have, you know, any time you do something the first time, you gain great experience, don't you? It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or how well you do get it, but get something right and wrong. But the first time you do something, there's a lot of experiences again, good ones and not so good ones. That's just life, and that's how we all learn and how we all get better. And, you know, two of the things that, you know, probably the things that were hardest for the Warriors boys last year and staff were families. Mm. Um, and obviously a lot of families end up getting S, some didn't, so some players come home. And uncertainty. Um, so the two things that, you know, I suppose that uh, Rob Crute and Cameron George, you know, probably worked out after talking about different things was the two things we need to need to sort of create for for the for the club and the team to, to give them, give the best chance, I suppose, was let's get rid of the uncertainty. And obviously the families with the borders in uh, being friendly in, in Australia, that takes away the, the family problem. So what we've sort of done is we've just put some plans in place where 
we're sort of locked into Australia for the first four rounds, so our first two games we're back there, and our plan is is to come home and obviously live and play here from from round five on, and that that gives the uh, the players with children they can lock their kids into a school term, and then if the borders aren't still open by the time round four starts to appear, well then we'll lock in for another school term, and we'll just keep doing that so then you know the players are comfortable, um, you know the players certainly enjoyed the places they went to last year, they enjoyed their sort of uh, isolation out in Tamworth, so we've gone back there. We're there for a month though this time, so the players really enjoyed being there, and Tamworth enjoyed having the players. And then, you know, they all love being at the Central Coast. There's, there's a lot of worse places to live than across across the road on the beach at Terrigal. <laughs> and, you know, and off the back of that, you know, we can have some facilities this year where, you know, where we can sort of have a bit of a base. Where last year, the boys are a bit like gypsies and nomads moving around a lot. You know, we can sort of once we get to the to the Central Coast, we've sort of got a bit of a training base and some offices there that'll be there, so that at least we've sort of got a base to work out of. And 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 again, the boys seem to enjoy playing out of the stadium there last year mm. at, at Blue Tongue. So, you know, it's not you. You got to try and turn these things into like a, a positive. That's the, what you need to. And and I sort of see. You know, we've had the first part of the year apart. Um, so. That was certainly the best option for us as a club because it didn't want to have to make people isolate again. So that would have been taking too much training time out of them. So mm. uh, being a part has allowed us to have smaller groups, work with a lot of the younger players in particular on the core skill parts of the game and obviously physically. So they sort of probably got a little bit more, I suppose, coaching because you had smaller groups and we had staff in Australia and staff here, which enabled that to work. It took a little bit of managing, but we make that work. And then we get a month sort of long footy camp, I suppose, in Tamworth where mm. We we're just sort of doing footy for a whole month. There'll be a bit of a break in between, but you know, so we've got to make that work to best suit us, you know. And that's what you need to do in these situations: work out ways where you feel you can get an advantage, as opposed to sit around and whinge at whinge at being a bit of a disadvantage, you know. So yeah. that's how we've sort of taken the approach, and it's certainly, uh, you know, we're sort of reasonably happy with how the younger blokes are developing at this end, and you know, most of the experienced blokes are actually in Oz at, the, at this stage, and most of our experienced players, so they've all just recently returned to train over the past sort of two or three weeks, so again, the, the younger players that sort of started to make their sort of mark in first grade last year, they come back quite early and had a fair bit of one-on-one -on -one time with the coaches, and then as the sort of years sort of gone on, a few of their more experienced and new signings have slowly sort of filtered into the squad. How easy is it to, to keep an eye on the guys in Australia? And, and who, who are your, your eyes and ears on the ground? Over there? Oh, well, you've got to rely on your staff. So you got to, you, know, you need good staff anyway. Whether you're all together or not, you need good staff. And I believe we've got, you know, we've got a very experienced staff out there. You know, Morgs has been coaching for a long time. Craig Hodges, one of the new coaches, has been coaching for 20-odd years. And uh, the strength and conditioner bumper, he's been doing it for 20-odd years <laughs> as well. You know, So there's a lot of experience there. We were fortunate to get a doctor who's got a lot of experience who's down at Kaima, so who works has worked in rugby league for a lot of years. And yeah, we've got a couple of physios who've got a lot of experience in rugby league as well. So we were fortunate to get, we had to get people with experience, you know, to make it work. And fortunately that sort of worked out well for us. And from a watching point of view, you, with the drones and all the technology these days, it's not too hard to get footage uh, put on your computer and watch it. You know, it's nothing yeah. like being there, but you can still keep an eye on it a little bit. Performance-wise for next year, uh, like Warriors fans, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Nathan, that they've sort of been out of the playoffs mix for a long, long time. Uh, it was seven years, uh, 2018, they finally got back, and then a couple of years out of the mix. What are your expectations for this, this playing squad? Just making the eight? Do they need to make the top four? How far do you think they can go? Well, I can't sit in here and tell you how they'll go. I'm excited to coach the squad we have. That's what I can tell you. One, um, 
to the development of um, of some of these younger players will be the key to the Warriors' next three or four years. The development of Chanel Tavita Harris, the development of Wade Egan, Jack Murchie, all these younger players who have started to play and sort of make a, a bit of a mark in first grade in the past two years, their development as, as players is going to play a fair part in where the club gets to. And, um, you know, we saw Penrith last year come in and people weren't saying anything about Penrith at all, were they? And all of a sudden they're minor premiers. Now, I'm not sitting here saying it's going to be the Warriors, but, you know, clubs can change rather quickly through some of your own good young players developing and two or three good recruitment decisions. Now, we've just spoke about our recruitment. We're all quite excited by what we've brought in. But, you know, again, the, 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 what happens with that development of those younger players will have a huge impact on where we get to. And at the moment, we're, the clubs are parted at the moment. So, you know, by the end of sort of Tamworth, after a month in Tamworth, we'll get a good feel where we're at as a squad. But I'm certainly excited to be working with this squad. I've worked with far worse squads than over the journey before. Yeah, and I've worked with squads that are were more ready as well, you know, so it's a it's a really exciting challenge um, and, you know, your whole, my whole goal is, first of all, you want to be a, you want any football club you work at to be a side that consistently makes the playoffs because when you consistently make the playoffs, then you put yourself in a situation where you can win a grand final and, you know, we were talking about the Melbourne Storm earlier, you know, they, they consistently are there and they pick up a grand final and, you know, the, the great example in the past sort of five or six years was probably the Cronulla Sharks and North Queensland Cowboys. You know, both clubs never won a premiership, but both clubs became consistent semi-final teams for five or six years and both picked up their first grand final along the way. And, mm. you know, myself, like probably Looks and like Ivan Cleary and like many of the coaches have been here, I'd, I'd ideally love to be the, coach, the first coach to win a grand final with the Warriors. That would be a personal goal, you know, but you know, there's been plenty of people that have probably sat here interviewed by you. That, that was their personal goal as well, you know, if that makes sense. I haven't done that many interviews, yeah. Nathan, actually, yeah. but uh, you're, you're my first. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so I wish you luck. Yeah. Listen, what about your, your own KPIs for, for the next season? Like, how, how would you judge your own success? Forget about, like, what the team does. Oh, look, it's probably, I probably answered that question a little bit before, you know, how these young, younger blokes develop, that's obviously going to be a fair part of it, and when I say that's not my own KPI. That's myself and, and the staff. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no head coach out there that that's got any magic wands. Or everyone has good staffs so these days, or you can't. It's, it's too big a task, you know, with the amount of players you have and how we get the the more experienced and new players to bet into the club. You know, there's two really good challenges to start with, and if we can, you know, we get some good growth out of the younger ones, and we get the the uh, the new signings to sort of merge into the squad quite well. In in what will be probably a a short preparation due to being separated at the minute, you know, where that takes us and then we could see what would be a what we could see would be successful or not successful. When when the Warriors coach gets sacked or they walk or, or whatever, fans usually go, all right, well, let's chuck the checkbook at, uh, I don't know, Wayne Bennett. Oh, he's not available. Let's get Craig Bellamy. Yeah. And when that doesn't work out, they're like scratching their heads and then somebody's appointed and... I don't know, maybe they're not good enough in the eyes of, of some fans. So to those people, look, tell them right now, why are you the best man for the job? I've got a lot of experience, I suppose. I've been head coach for 20 years now, whilst I'm, I suppose I'm young in coaching age, I suppose, at 47. I'm probably not that old for a head coach, but I've been... I can't believe you're 47. I've been doing it, like about I've, been, I've been doing it for a long time, and I, so this is my fifth job, so I feel, you know... The more you do coaching, the better you generally get at it. That's for how I feel, you know. So I feel I'm, my better years are coming. Um, and generally, every club I've been to, 
has been better for me being there. We didn't didn't win it all of them. I won a grand final in England. I lost the grand final in England. And at the Dragons, we come close a couple of times. But I felt every time I left the club was in a far better position than it was when I got there. But uh, look, this challenge is uh, all the challenges you get at different clubs are generally different challenges. This is a you know coaching the being the head coach for of a team in a country is a certainly extremely different challenge, isn't it? You know, where you, there's one team in the country on rugby league team and you're in charge. That's that presents its uh, expectation alone. Bit of pressure. Know? Yeah, which is which is good though because as coaches, the one thing we all don't mind is is the pressure and the expectation. Unless we wouldn't do the job. Mm. You're only as good as your last performance. I'm wheeling out a lot of cliches yeah. here. Yeah, you yeah, got, you've got the best you have, mate. Cliche king. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So when, when you're announced as the Warriors head coach, people probably go on Wikipedia or whatever and they go, OK, Nathan Brown, let's find out a little bit about him. Yeah. I coached the Dragons. Uh, he's been coaching for a long time, went to the UK, had some success with St Helens. Yeah. Um, Newcastle Knights. Oh, what happened there? Are we, are we getting the Nathan Brown from the Newcastle Knights or uh, getting the Nathan Brown who had success in the UK Super League? Well, as, you know? as I said, the challenge is very, very different. You know, and the one we took on at Newcastle is far, far different to this one. And, um, you know, things were sort of tracking along for... They were tracking slowly at Newcastle, but that was the approach that we had to sort of take at the time. And we were certainly slowly moving our way forward and uh, as a club. And then, you know, things happened and then we move on. But... Uh, Again, Newcastle's far better for me going there because they never had Caelan Ponga and Mitchell Pearce and Origin front rowers before I got there, you know. So, <laughs> like, that's one thing I can guarantee is that is generally wherever I've been, it's been better. But as I said, the challenges are so different. And yeah, Newcastle was a very difficult challenge at times, but very enjoyable as well. Um, but you move on and, you know, sometimes for whatever reason, things don't quite work out between the coach and the club at different stages. For whatever reason, you, you know, sometimes it's all the coaches' fault. Sometimes something just doesn't work out, but I've seen many coaches go from club one to club two and then the results are a lot, lot different. You know, and sometimes that just needs, sometimes you find your, I suppose, you find the club that seems to work for you. Mm. I don't expect you to sort of unearth everything uh, that happened in Newcastle, but can you, can you sort of pinpoint a few things as to what made that night's experience so difficult? Uh, look, I've never spoke about it since I've left. I'm not going to start talking about it now. No, it's not, not something that I really want to talk about, but I got some great experiences out of it. You know, I got some uh, some good lessons, some good life lessons, things away from footy as well. You know, but we loved our time there as a family, and I enjoyed my coaching time there. Just the last little period wasn't great, but it was, was before that. There was, you know, I can look at the last five or six weeks, or I can look at the first three and a half years. You know, and the first three and a half years was it was hard, you know, because of where we were as a club, but it was also rewarding watching. You know, the club slowly grow and attract people like Caelan Ponga and then Daniel Safidi mm. play Origin, you know. So to see some of those things was still was, gives you some really good memories. But when you finish the way I finished, it was, you know, it was, it was a different finish, I'd say that. Yeah. You sat here as a 47-year-old with nearly two decades' worth of experience as a head coach, which seems crazy. Mm. You know, you started your, your journey in, in this capacity as a 29-year-old. That's that's incredibly young, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty young, yeah, from what they tell me. Young and stupid sometimes we are. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some great experiences there, you know, so we certainly are. I certainly don't encourage young coaches to to do what I to do what I did, um, because it's uh 
coaching's about getting experience. I always, you know, if any sort of younger coach talks to me, I always encourage them to take their time, go and work for a, you know, a number of coaches, work for a number of clubs and really gain your experiences and make your mistakes a bit out of the limelight. And then when you get yeah. there, make sure you're ready because you know, coaching's, uh, coaching's probably a lot more difficult now than when I first started because you've got all these different shows that are on and there's a lot more probably, I suppose, uh, pressure comes from social media, from media than what did when I was a younger coach. And, you know, I mean, when I was in Inglost, uh, Alex Ferguson was still the Man United coach and he, he finished up. I think it was either my last year I was in England or this my second last year. And when he finished up as a coach, he said if he started today, he wouldn't have lasted two years. He would have got the sack by Man United. So mm. that's the how the social media and all these different football shows and that have probably probably changed the landscape, you know, because, you know, the, the negative publicity can put certain people at certain clubs under pressure if they don't hold their nerves. Sir Alex Ferguson, from what he said, he would never have done the, done what he did, you know, so it can yeah. be it can be much more difficult now for a, for a coach to start out than what it was when I, when I first started. Yeah, do, do you think it was, so it was a case of maybe maybe too young, too early for oh, you? Oh, look, it's just about experience. I enjoyed my time and I don't, you know, I don't regret doing what I did at the Dragons. We come, you know, we developed for some, had some good younger players and we had some good experienced players that were already there when I took over, you know, so, you know, and we come close a number of times. We finished the game short of the grand final on a number of occasions and made the playoffs most of the time. But I, I know that as a as a younger coach, I know there are things that, that, I, that I got wrong, but you don't know until you actually do it sometimes, you know. So that's why I say you're best off doing it in an environment like in reserve grade or doing it in under 20s or, or being a part and learning from a, a good experienced coach, you know, because as I said, coaching is about experience and the more experience you get, the better you get at it. And when you're very, very young, there's a lot of experience in life that you haven't had, you know, whether not only be coaching, but being a parent, all sorts of different things. So it's, uh, as a coach, you need to be able to, more than coach the players, you need to be able to help them in some other areas as well, or at least provide some, provide a bit of guidance for them. So mm. I don't regret coaching at 29, um, but I certainly got some great lessons, that's for sure. Yeah. Was it also kind of hard to separate you know, Nathan Brown, the player, and Nathan Brown, the coach, because you know you're now coaching a lot of the guys that you played alongside. Yeah, no, it's tough. Yeah, Everyone, anyone that does that, I'll tell you, it's not the not the smartest thing to do. You know, different if it's one or two players, but to coach a heap of players that you to play with, it's not the smartest decision for anyone to do. No. No. Do you want to talk about Trent Barrett at all? Well, we'll be coaching against Baz again this year, so no, <laughs> we, get, we get on fine, me and Baz. Yeah, yeah. we get on fine, me and Baz. Right. We see each other. We always have a have a good good chat and a chuckle. The, the Trent Barrett episode. You, you're on the sideline with the, the lads, and, and the slap occurs, and, and all of the you know the, the media get involved. The, the the fans, I believe, in the stands were kind of egging you on once you sort of like got the finger in the chest and all that sort of stuff. Like, what what was what was going through your mind on that occasion? I've coached that many games of footy since then. I can't even remember now. But um, all I all I do is I got a, a great a, a great lesson out of it, didn't I? It was yeah. an expensive slap one. And, <laughs> what was it? Five k? And uh, that was about ten k. Ten. Yeah, Jeez. But, um, but it's just I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. That's yeah. all. I said it's not even something that's ever had ever crossed my mind before, or will never cross my mind again. But as I said, these are the experiences we gain out of being a, a very very young coach. I'm not the first one to do it. I certainly won't be the last. But it, it was one of those things I'd rather didn't happen, but uh, it did, and you just got to live with it, don't you? Especially these days with social media, you can't get away yeah, from anything. Exactly, exactly. That's why the Mad Butcher Lounge is no longer a thing, <laughs> you know, because of social media and people on smartphones. Yeah. You ruined it. That's what you've done. Anyway, enough from me on that. What, what kind of coach are you now, then? 
because you've had all this experience. Are, are, you, are you a Craig Bellamy type where you're kicking chairs yeah, and, and you be who you are. saliva? You're, you're and no good trying to be someone else. You learn that as a, as a coach. You you got to have you know, you got to believe in what you're doing and you know believe in your own skin. You know, you got to back yourself. No good worrying how other people do it because everyone's so different, aren't they? You know. And, yeah. You know, look how successful Bellake is and Trent Robinson, and they go about their business rather differently. And then you got Wayne, who's got his own unique style over, which is way different to anyone coaching today, but still successful. And but what you got to do is you got to back who you are and, and believe it can work. Was there any like one or, or two coaches while you were playing that maybe? Moulded the, the the coach that you are and influenced not, you possibly not really because I started so young. See, so I was fortunate to have some very good coaches at the St George. You know, Brian Smith was a great coach, and David Waite was a good coach, and Max Innes was an old guy. Who took me to St George. He was a great, good mentor for me, as he was. And Maxie was good for beyond the scenes for Brian Smith and David Waite as well. You know, so Max provided plenty of stuff, and then you just learn through different experiences, don't you? That's mm -hmm. as I keep saying. You know, that's the the great thing with coaching, the more you do it, the, the, the better you'd like to think you get at it. Put your analyst hat on. You don't need to take that one off. Let, let's talk about the, the other 15 teams in the competition next year. Do, do you see the, the power base shifting at all, or do you think it's just going to be uh, the, the same again? Oh, look, there's going to be, there's always you know, one or two teams that didn't make the eight that are going to bubble up, you know, and you'd always like to think if you're working for them, then you're, you're going to be one of them, don't you? So there's generally one or two that will bubble up, and you know, but you know, the, the sides that have been consistently up there for the past sort of you know, six, eight years of you know, the storms been consistently there, the roosts have been consistently there. Uh, South Sydney's been in, I think they've been in six or seven prelim grand finals in the last nine years. You know, mm. so they've, they've finished a game short of the grand final the last three years in a row. You know, so it, you don't see a real reason why those sides aren't going to keep being hard to beat. You know, and the challenge for the sides that aren't in the eight is the is the one is to recruit well and to develop your own players well, so you can you can push yourself up there because that's the only way you get there. It's at the end of the day. You know, all the coaches that are up there will tell you they've got some pretty settled squads. So to get a settled squad and and hopefully get some consistency out of it, that's how you, how you climb yourself back up. What about the Titans? I mean, they've secured for themselves some pretty big boys in that pack for Fita, for Asua Maliawi. Yeah, they've made some terrific yeah. signings. You know, yeah, you know, Herman SES is there as well. Mm. And, you know, I believe that they're in, they keep saying Brandon Smith's a possibility of going there at some mm. stage. So, look, they're recruiting very well. and. Um, and again, I think you know they're putting some focus into their junior development as well. You know, which is until you get that junior bit right, you're, you're not going to probably trouble Roosters and and those sort of Melbourne Storms. You know, you got to you need to you don't you can't be buying players every or you, you you're not going to be getting to where you get. You got to develop your own players. And when you do go to the market, you're only going there for limited numbers of players. You know, so it makes your recruitment far easier. Are we going to see the Broncos bounce back under Walters? Oh look, all these things are questions that. None of us can really answer until we start playing. That's the thing, you know, like we can all talk that we're going to be doing this better and, you know, pretty much if you did an interview with every side that missed the eight, all the players would be telling you how great the new coach is going and, you know, it's just, yeah. we, we see it every year, you know, it's a, we're going great, we're doing this, is much better than last year, blah, blah, blah. Heard it all, we're fitter, we're faster, we're stronger. Until people actually start playing, you just don't know how it's going to be, you know, mm. so... You know, you can after sort of round six or eight, you'll get a feel for what sides have really improved, what sides have got worse, and what sides that missed the eight last year are going to miss the eight again. And you know, last year if we looked at Penrith. You know, Penrith when Penrith first started playing, it was like, you know, are they going to keep going or are they going to stop? But then after 
eight or ten weeks, they appeared to be a side that everyone started to so say, I think these blokes are... They're the real deal. Well, they're going to be hard to beat, you know. Yeah. So you, you can't really tell late to ten weeks, you know. We can talk about changes of coaches, new recruitment, new strength in the end. We've seen it for years. Until mm. you actually start playing, that's where the proof is. When we start playing, the Warriors that is, oh, man, are we going to see them play at Mount Smart? I know that the first four weeks that you're away in Australia and there's talk of vaccines and possible travel bubbles with New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. Uh, do, do you see it on the, on the menu for, for Warriors fans? Um, I've tried to answer the question that I may know something about. <laughs> Are you not across the vaccines I'm and travel bubbles? That. No, I'm not across oh, the vaccines. Okay. Yeah. Oh. I can make up a oh, story. Go on. Yeah, yeah, go on. Make one up if you like. Yeah, please. Yeah, we'll be back please for round five. There oh, go. fantastic. There you go. We've got it in stone. Yeah. Round five, Mount Smart Stadium. Actually, if that happens at all, whether it's round five or or round 25, there won't be enough temporary seating in the country, will there, to get enough people into that stadium? How, how will we accommodate all those folk who, who are desperate to see yeah, the Warriors well, play at home? Well, what you want is you want them desperate to see the Warriors play at home, but you want them to be, we want them to be coming to watch a team that's playing well, too, mm. you know, not just because they've been starved of footy. You want them to, want them to hopefully be coming because the team's, you know, Doing a, doing a pretty decent sort of job as well. Yeah. How heavily have you sort of invested in the move? Like, do you, do you buy a house in New Zealand? Do you, do you yeah. rent for a bit? What, what, well, what's we, the go there? At the moment, we can't because the team's not here today. But once, once the team gets here, we'll sort of work our way through that. But it's, uh, it's certainly a lovely place and a place that I could quite easily live for, for a long time if, if work permitted, yeah. Where are you staying at the minute? I'm staying at Parnell at the minute. Oh, very lovely. Yeah. Looking to extend to where, possibly? Um, I really like it out at uh, Mission Bay and out that oh, way. By the beach, Yeah, it's sort of, like, sort of, I sort of grew up on the coast myself, so yeah. I've spent most of my life on the coast, but yeah, so it seems that seems nice and relaxing out there. Because you're, you're a keen surfer, aren't you? I was till I hurt my neck playing footy, so I had to give it away, but I still like going to the beach, though. Get out on a, on a stand-up paddleboard? Oh, I, I haven't, but I could do, but I, I just enjoy going anyway and just having a swim and... The, you know, most of my kids like going as well, you know, so. What, what are you looking forward to most about spending a lot of time in New Zealand? Is it to get to know the culture a bit, get around a few places that you've heard of and never had a chance to get to? Oh, probably all of the above. Yeah, like we've sort of moved around a fair bit with, uh, with coaching and uh, certainly, um, certainly the best way to do it and best way to uh, sort of learn and mix with people is invest in the way they live. Uh, and... We certainly had some great times in the north of England. Then in, we went to uh, Lancashire and then another part of England, which was great. And then we went to Newcastle, which was, you know, it's a great, um, great family experience in Newcastle as well. You know, so if you, if you sort of invest some of your time into the people, you generally sort of get it a little bit back, you know. All right, Nathan, I've taken up too much of your time already. But one last thing, complete this sentence. In 2021, the New Zealand Warriors will... Be consistent. Be consistent. That's what we'd like. All right. I look forward to seeing it, mate. Nathan, thank you so much for spending so much time here on Playmakers. I do appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Cheers, mate.